Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. So, we have made it to a new sermon series, a new talk series, where we're going to be looking in detail at 1 Peter. 1 Peter's a a very short book, but we're going to drag it out for a very long time. So I hope that you guys are going to get to know it really, really well. But actually, as I've begun to look into this book, you can read it in one sitting with a cup of tea still hot. Uh, There is so much in it. And as I began to dig in, I love this quote right at the uh, beginning of Wayne Gruden's book uh, on this. And he says, over the past four years, I have worked closely with the text of 1 Peter. Four years, just hold that. Uh, Both in teaching it and in writing this commentary. As I now complete the commentary, I am surprised that far from being tired, far from being tired, I've lost my bit um, of the word of this letter, I hear them speak to me with more directness and urgency into my own life. And I'm still finding joy and spiritual refreshment reading them again and again. For me personally, this is yet further confirmation of the character of this letter as the living and abiding word of God. He spent four years teaching on this, reading it, writing this commentary. And yet he's saying every single time he delves into God's word, it is alive and fresh. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine just spending four years on one particular book and still going, I'm learning more, I'm learning more, I'm learning more. So I've got a question for us at the beginning of today. Are you ready to be surprised by God's word again? Good. We're on the same page. And are you open-hearted to the directness and the way that God wants to speak into your life today? Are you up for receiving some joy and spiritual refreshment from these words? Yeah, you all look like you could do with some joy and spiritual refreshment, if I'm honest. You are allowed to talk and you are allowed to giggle. And please don't throw anything at me, that is banned. Let's just for a moment then stop and and ask God to speak to us through his word, shall we? Father God, we want to thank you that your word is alive and your word is living and you speak through it every time we open it up. We pray today you give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you're in a sympathetic mood because I have a sad story to tell you. Thank you. You're going to have to be more sympathetic than that. When I was seven, I went to a primary school where there were 108 of us. It was a very small village primary school. Uh, Barford Primary School had a red jumper. I hated it. And there were 108 of us. But then my best friend moved to Warwick. So there were only 107 of us. Oh, dearie me. 107 is an odd number, and I felt like the odd one out. 
My best friend, who I loved hanging out with, uh, we, she moved away. And from that moment, I began to feel like an outsider. Um, my kind of sparring partner had gone, the one that would giggle in the corner of the playground um, about I don't know what. Uh, she'd left, and I felt like I really was number 107. And when you got put in twos, there was always one person left. That's better, thank you. And the other thing about our school, because it was a village school, we had the biggest playground you've ever seen. Massive playground. Uh, And therefore, we had a massive sports program. Now, I was rubbish at sport. So again, when you get chosen to be in teams, who was always last? Good news is God's healed all these wounds, so it's okay. But sport was really not me. Really not me. And I would often sit on the playground making daisy chains. That was my way of looking busy and trying not to feel left out. How does it feel to be on the outside? It's really hard, isn't it? To feel like you're the one that doesn't quite fit. To feel like you're the one that never gets chosen to do anything. It can be lonely. It can be challenging. And it can, age seven, really squash you. Or even age 77, really squash you. There are two things that changed. There's a good news bit. Number one, I won a race at Sports Day. It was the monkey race. But my standing went up in the sports world. And then something else happened the week later. All of the boys came down with a tummy bug and I got chosen to be on the football team. And I scored the winning goal. So all of a sudden, in a week, I went from being on the outside to being the second person, not the first person, chosen to be on teams. Now, I guess a bit sad again, because that didn't last long, because I was rubbish. Um, So, you know, my my glory was once uh, short-lived, shall we say. But for those couple of weeks when I was first chosen for the netball team, first in, I felt like I fitted for the first time. And it was an amazing feeling. But as I said, it was a short-lived feeling because actually it wasn't who I was. It wasn't what I did that made me fit in or fit out. And as I grew up, I discovered actually that there was somewhere that I fitted, somewhere where I wasn't on the outside, somewhere where I was accepted completely for who I was. And that was the family of God. You see, God didn't set the world up for there to be those outside his family. It says right at the beginning of the Bible, it is not good for man to be alone. And he's not just talking about marriage there. He's saying, I have designed this world so that you will be a family. You will be my people. You will be together. There are no outsiders in my kingdom. See, being on the outside was not God's idea at all. Being on the outside, he knew, was not good for any of us because we're called to belong and we're designed to be a family. And all the way through Scripture, the Old Testament, through the stories of Jesus, and then through the New Testament uh, books, 
This theme of being God's family, God's chosen people is weaved all the way through. And so then we hit 1 Peter chapter 1. And right at the beginning, Peter reminds us that we are called to belong. This is it in the message version, and I love it. Peter, an apostle on assignment by Jesus the Messiah, writing to exiles scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing. Not one is forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you and has determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. Right at the beginning of 1 Peter, he's saying, I've chosen you to be part of the family. I have assigned you a role, a place. You're not an outsider anymore. You're part of my family. You're part of my family. God's not called you to live on the outside. You are invited right into his heart. And so we're going to think a little bit about what this passage has got to say about belonging, about being on the inside of God's family. See, because we're all invited to belong. And you could choose a million passages from Scripture to highlight this. I've just chosen one from 1 John, which kind of underlines, I think, what's said in 1 Peter. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. His children. And that is what we are. Isn't that an amazing story? We're not on the outside. We're not on our own. We have been invited by the Father of heaven and earth to be his children. You could choose your favorite verse there. There are so many I could have brought. But if nothing else says anything to you this morning, remember that verse. You have a father who loves you so much and he's called you to be your chi- his child. Excuse me. But you might find it handy to have the Bible open back at 1 Peter. Because the passage goes on to talk about the spiritual inheritance that every child of God is entitled to. It's an amazing passage. It's tucked right in there in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 and it says you have a spiritual inheritance that is for eternity, that is forever. If you missed Simon's talk on heaven a couple of weeks ago, really go back on the podcast and listen to it. Because what I'm talking about today isn't just for today and tomorrow, it's for eternity. So go and listen to that uh, if you would like. But it says that you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What is that saying? It's saying that you, as a child of God, have been given God's inheritance. And you don't have to wait till you die and are in heaven to receive it. 
God graciously in your new life as a Christian are given a spiritual inheritance. And I've just brought three things out. There are many I could have that we can find here in the passage that are kind of given to us as spiritual inheritance. The first one is a new ability to know God. A new ability to know God. Verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's a nice passage. You don't see him, but in faith you love him. You're allowed to know and love God. The more I get to know God, the more I love him. Because actually I'm discovering new things even 20 years after I became a Christian about how amazing God really is. And the more I get to know about him and the more I get to experience him, the more I believe in him. It's that way around. As I begin to find out who he is, then I believe in him even more. And that means that I have this new ability to know him. I really hope you'll make some time to go to the prayer room this week. It's my highlight of the year as I go into that prayer room and I experience God in an amazing way. Sometimes that's through art. Sometimes that's through the music. Sometimes it's just sitting with my Bible. But I've got this ability now to be welcomed into God's presence, to know him. I might not see him physically, but I know him and I love him. And there are loads of things in this passage that remind us about who God is. Verse 2 and verse 3 remind us that God is your father, our father. Verse 2 reminds us that God's in charge. Number 3, that God is good in verse 2. He remind, uh, This passage reminds us in verse 3 that God saves us. And in verse 3 and 4, that God has yesterday, today and forever in his power and sight And verse 4, that God has all good things in his hands. That's worth knowing, isn't it? I want to know that kind of God who's in charge, who's a good father, who is good and has abundant blessings for us. I want to know the God who saves me and who has yesterday, today and forever in his power and sight. Which in this political environment is a really good thing to know. You have an amazing inheritance, and that is that you can know how amazing God is, and you can know and have a relationship with him. Second part of the uh, inheritance, though, is that you have a new identity. You have a new identity. Again, going back to the message uh, paraphrase, verses 3 to 5, what a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have him. The father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, you have been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. But your future starts right now. One of the inheritances, if that's even a word, that we have been given is to have a new identity. When I became a Christian at 16, this fresh start thing was so important to me. 
Uh, you say, what have you done if you're only 16? But there were so many things that I had done, so many things that had separated me from people and from my relationship with God, that when someone says, you can have a brand new start, it was such a gift for me. I'm going to watch a video on the screen of a, a chap, and I, I watched his testimony the other week, and I just thought, we have to see this. It's a story of someone who discovered the new identity that they had in God. Let's watch it together. My life before I became a follower of Jesus, it was a period um, in which I was consumed by the love of money. My name is Manoj and this is my story. I was a businessman, uh, a property trader, um, and my whole world revolved around trying to buy as many blocks as I could throughout the UK to essentially make uh, the most amount of money that I could physically make in my lifetime. In terms of my business, 2008 was going to be the big year for us. Uh, but then we all know what happened in 2008. The mortgage market collapsed. For me, the credit crunch was like literally being in an earthquake. Everything just started to crumble overnight. It was during that same time that my son also became ill. He was rushed to hospital um, and he was rushed into resuscitation where essentially he stopped breathing and there were all kinds of complications. But what do you do when you're ushered into the room next door? Um, I turned to God in the hope that he would somehow uh, come and help us. My son was transferred to St. Thomas's uh, in London and then the consultant comes and sees us on the fourth day and says, I'm really sorry, but you know, your son is not going to open his eyes for some time yet. Uh, they're still trying to work out what was going on. And yet what was resonating um, throughout the four days was the fact that this, this American couple that had come over from the States, um, we'd recently befriended them and, uh, and they were praying. It really impacted me because they called us so many times and talked about the church lifting up my son in prayer. And it really gave me a lift. Um, and what really, really impacted me was the fact that um, this lady in particular um, collapsed on the floor and wept for my son. There was something there that I felt that she had that was, uh, that was different. So on that fourth day, the consultant had said to us, your son is not going to open his eyes for some time yet. And as she did the ward round, my son suddenly just bolted, literally just bolted upright in bed. And as you can imagine, there's so much elation and there's so much joy. And I remember turning to my wife and said to her that, you know, when we get out of this hospital, let's just go to that couple's church that prayed for our son. It was a big sort of experience that I had in that church in the sense that I literally walked out uh, a, a different person. My wife really didn't recognize me. My mother thought I'd joined some kind of cult because suddenly I wanted to try and do everything differently, particularly in, in the area of business. Before that, I was very, very arrogant, very ruthless, very money-driven. And for, as someone who had essentially lived such a sinful life, and in the midst of all of that sin... There's a God that says, I forgive you, and I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Now, how do you get your head around that? It's new life. It's new life. He found out who he really was, 
And uh, the story goes on. He's a changed man with his business and everything. Uh, you can read it on the uh, Great Commission website. There are many other testimonies on there if you would like to have a look. But they're all about the fact that somebody finds God and they realize their true identity. And therefore, they have a new life, which is what this passage talks about. So to go back to verse 3 again, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. What a perfect verse for a dedication. I popped around to see Emily uh, the day after she was born. She was very diddy and very cute. And I got a cuddle, which is one of the best bits of my job. And I looked down at her and God whispered a couple of words to me. And one of them was courageous. And I looked at her and I thought, well, she's so diddy and cute. You know, what, what courage is she going to need? And that very night, she was born a few weeks early. Uh, she was rushed into hospital and everybody was worried because her breathing was irregular. And uh, Claire texted me and said, can you pray? Of course, um, she's going to need all of her courage now. And I I just felt like God had whispered to me that day that we needed to pray for courage. And if you know anything about Emily now, she is feisty. She is beautiful, but she is going to give her brother a run for his life, I think. I'm not sure who's going to win those arguments. Because she is strong and she is courageous. And as we look at her... That's a picture of what God says about us. He says, when you start your new life with me, then I have words to speak over you. I have a new identity to give you. It is like I've given you a brand new life. The Bible uh, in this passage talks about us, therefore, being beautiful, at being born again into a living hope. Now, living things grow, don't they? If you were here at Easter, a little pea update. My peas are growing. If you weren't here at Easter, that means nothing to you, and I'm very sorry. But living things grow. And this passage says that you have a brand new life, but now you need to carry on growing in the living hope that God gives us. There's nothing static or boring about being a Christian. This living hope that is mentioned here is about a new life that you get to grow in and develop in. One of the things we'll have in the prayer room is an opportunity for us to pray about having the fruits of the Spirit grow in our lives. So that we're more kind, we're more gentle, we've got more self-control. All these things we definitely need to pray for parents The living hope that you have been given is growing in you. You have a brand new life. And that is your spiritual inheritance. So, you get given a brand new acceptance with God. A brand new experience, relationship with him. You get given a new identity and a new life as part of your spiritual inheritance. And so therefore, the question is, how do we live now? If you're a brand new person, you have to learn how to live like that. 
Emily will have to learn all kinds of very useful things in the next few years. So she knows how to grow and be a, uh, a child and then into a teenager and then a very responsible adult. How do we live? The rest of 1 Peter is going to teach us how we live in the light of this. And so therefore, come back in a couple of weeks' time where we begin to delve into thinking really uh, in detail about how we live differently. You see, if we are a new creation, a new person, how do we live? A few things, though. We are different. We are different to the rest of the world because we fix our eyes on Jesus and we have got the inheritance uh, that God gives us. So we are different. And being different isn't always very popular, is it? No. And this passage just gives us that little hint of it in verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Sometimes this new life we're given can be quite challenging. That's a fact. But being different, born into this new world, you have the resources of heaven and earth. And that means that you are going to no longer be on the outside, but at the heart of God's plans and purposes. And we are going to learn to live in a new way that helps us to shine the love of God to a world who certainly needs to hear it. So until we pick this up in two weeks' time, Let's just think about this verse one more time. And then we're going to move into uh, communion together. So maybe the band want to join us. What a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master, Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given what? A brand new life. And we have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is carefully watching over us and the future. And the day is coming when you will have it all, life healed and whole joy. Let's just have a moment of praying and allowing God just to speak to us. Lord, what are you saying about my brand new life, about my new identity? What are you saying to me about our relationship together? Why don't you stand with me? Father God, as we have heard about our brand new life, we just ask that you speak to us now. How do we celebrate this living hope we have? Let's use these words as we prepare for communion, our way of saying thank you to God for what he's done for us. Let's use these words together. Because he is our living hope.